Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So while Israel is being attacked, while Ukraine is being attacked, while inflation is eating our country alive, I'm down here. It's just precious. I mean, he goes through the laundry list of things that are going on, does President Trump. But all eyes are on Trump in this trial. Am I the only person who doesn't actually... I was going to say care, but that's not the right word. Am I the only person who thinks that the trial is such nonsense that I'm focused on the other things? Or is it that you have to make sure you're covering every part of these things? Because even though it is nonsense, what if they get away with the nonsense? This isn't about Trump being a perfect guy. This isn't about Trump being a nice guy. This isn't even about whether or not you'd vote for Trump. The trial here, keeping Donald Trump from doing any business in New York, haven't they even discussed that nobody wins if that's the case? Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Find everything going on at TonyKatz.com. The phone number, 833-GOT-TONY. 833-468-8669. 833-GOT-TONY. Trump has contributed more to New York than Letitia James, than the governor, Kathy Hochul, than the gov- former governor, Andrew Cuomo, uh, than uh, the current mayor, Eric Adams, then the previous mayor, uh, Bill de Blasio, then the district attorney, Alvin Bragg, combined. Trump's ego, Trump's hubris, Trump's desire to see his name high up in gold helped build the city, create jobs, create billions of dollars in tax revenue. And these people don't even have the decency to say thank you. They think he's the pariah. Crazy town. Also, I don't think any of this changes anything uh, politically. I truly don't. But what's getting interesting is that the judge is like, you're going to stop making these grandiose statements in the courtroom. Uh, Lawyers control your client or I'm going to throw you out. And there is, of course, a very big conversation to be had that that's exactly what Donald Trump wants. He wants to be thrown out. He thinks it's going to be helpful. The argument is that uh, Trump exaggerated his net worth by as much as $3.6 billion a year. Let's say he did. Here is the question for all of us if he exaggerated his net worth by $3.6 billion a year. Are you ready? So what? What does it matter? If he took a loan 
And he made it uh, sound like he had more collateral or more uh, assets than he did. I'm not saying that's a good thing. But he paid back the loan, and no one's been arguing that he hasn't. I haven't heard that argument. It's possible I missed something. But if he paid back the loan, what's the issue? Well, by exaggerating, he got uh, a better deal. You mean you're upset he didn't give the bank more interest payments? Okay, you can be upset, but I don't think that's a... I don't think uh, that's a, um, a deal breaker. I don't think that's a crime. You could say you you lied on the form. Well, you can ding him for that, but he paid back the the the, the loan. What's the issue? This isn't like uh, oh, what's his name? Um, oh, who was the senator Dodd and Countrywide Mortgage? Christopher Dodd out of Connecticut. That's a completely different conversation, now, isn't it? We're not talking about those levels of manipulation. Guy paid back the loan. That his financial statement was in disarray? So is mine. (laughs) So is yours. Maybe that's why it's not at the top of my list. But I, but I know it's important, and, and that's why I share. We're going to dig more into it a little bit later as we get more uh, fr- from the courtroom, including uh, the the judge saying, uh, I'm, I'm gonna, if you don't stop making speeches, I'm going to throw you out, which is, I assume, what Trump wants. No, the thing, the thing that is, is, is moving me is that uh, the White House got attacked over the weekend and nobody's talking about it. These pro-Hamas protesters, they are not pro-Palestinian. They are not free Palestine protesters. They are pro-Hamas, kill the Jews protesters. Violence seekers took red paint. See, they're trying to show that Biden's got blood on his hands. And uh, and uh, be- why? Because he's not pushing for a ceasefire, which would only benefit Hamas. Again, these people are pro-Hamas. And they're putting handprints on the gates of, of, of the White House. And they tried to scale the fence. Why is this not a front page story? If Trump supporters had done that, if the Proud Boys have done that, if Name the Group had done that, remember, a 17-year-old named Nicholas Sandman just smiled at a Native American banging a drum in his face. And that guy, we were told, had a punchable face. That guy had to be attacked. He was a 17-year-old. But here you have grown men and women. These are college students. That means they're adults. They are responsible for their actions. And anytime a college student is told, you don't have a job now, welcome to the world. When you call for genocide, you might not have a job. When you disagree with somebody politically, I think you should be able to have a job. These are two very, very different things, don't you know? But this happened at the White House, where I'm told January 6th is the worst thing ever to happen in the history of mankind. And nobody says a word. Nobody says anything. The, 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 it's, it's like the press doesn't exist. 
They, they forgot how to do their job. I'm not going to forget how to do my job. Understand the level of violence that is right now taking place. And I want to call my shot, and I do not want to call the shot, but it is here, and I, my job is not to lie. I mean, I, I never lie. But I'm not about to, to, to start. I'm certainly not going to hold something back. The violence is only going to increase because these Hamas lovers, these terrorism lovers, these Jew haters, whatever you want to call them, um, they they feel very emboldened. They very much feel like they can get away with a lot and they're going to try. And if you think it isn't going to be about you or it isn't going to come for you, um, anybody who disagrees with them is going to have to deal with it. Anybody who disagrees with them is going to be a victim of it. Biden called for a humanitarian pause, which, of course, I don't agree with in any way, shape, or form. Not enough. It's only enough if you agree with the Jew hater Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, Andre Carson, Ayanna Presley, Representative Ocasio-Cortez, Jamal Bowman. Only, only if you agree with them are you okay. Only if you agree with them. So much so that people like Jamal Bowman are stating very, very clearly as he answered the question for Mehdi Hassan over there at MSNBC supporting Israel the way Biden is, which I have questions about, um... That could cost him re-election. How much damage is Joe Biden's support for Israel doing to the Democratic base? And how much is that going to cost him in places like Michigan with younger voters, Arab-American voters in a key battleground state, which thanks to that new poll from The Times, we already know he's struggling in even before this war. Could this war cost him re-election? Yes, it could. And let me just be very clear. It's one thing to support Israel which the U.S. has always done and will continue to do. It's another thing to never hold Israel accountable for their behavior, whether it's related to the occupation, the open-air prison that is Gaza, or the war crimes that are taking place right now during this siege. I mean, Israel was very clear from the beginning. We're going to cut off water, food, electricity. They've used white phosphorus. Uh, In terms of collective punishment, That's what's happening right now. Moving half the country from one part of the, excuse me, half the strip from one part of the strip to the other or trying to within 24 hours. These are things that President Biden hasn't been strong enough in holding Israel to account. And the Muslim community, the Arab community and Palestinians hear that loud and clear and receive that as erasure and even further receive it as dehumanization. And this is where this president has to do better, but this is where the United States has to do better as well, because it's not just this president or this war. This is historical. Historical, just continuing to support Israel without the proper critiques and accountability led us to what happened on October 7th, but also what's happening now. First, let's, let's, let's start at the end and work our way back. That's Jamal Bowman, congressman from New York, when he's not pulling fire alarms to get out of doorways, telling you that Israel is responsible for the attack that murdered 1,400 Israelis and others. That's what he said. 
not holding Israel accountable led to October 7th. It's not the fault of Hamas, the terrorist organization. It's the fault of Israel. This is a member of Congress pushing more violence in the United States and otherwise. That's why I, I lay down my marker. But what is this conversation that somehow all Muslims, all Arabs, not necessarily Muslim, somehow see this the same way? Israeli Arabs don't see it the same way. They know Hamas is a terrorist organization and want those bastards gone. They'll tell you point blank, the people of Gaza want Hamas gone. Oh my. This is laying down the idea that, well, this is this is the way it is. This is this it it, it every Muslim sees it the same, every Arab sees it the same. And uh, none of this would be happening if it wasn't for those damn Israelis. Which I assume Jamal Bowman means those damn Jews, but neither here nor there. Threatening Biden in his run for president, which is now par for the course because they're now actively calling for him to step away. But that's another story for another, for another moment. We'll get to it. The Democrats in chaos. Oh, the violence is coming. And because we're already seeing it. And I've got examples of it. More than just an attack on the White House. Trying to scale the gates. The vandalism. If, if Trump was in office, this would be 24-7 news. If this was anybody on the so-called political right, meaning actually on the political right or the left just wanted to claim they were on the political right, uh, this would be 24-7 news. The silence tells you where the press is complicit. And the squad and the other progressives are telling you exactly how much they want the violence to happen. Now, you say to me, Tony, those are rough words. I told you I can back it up. And if you didn't trust Jamal Bowman and his word, that's okay. I'll share more with you coming up. I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today. Dow is up 51. Sorry, the NASDAQ is down uh, 17. I'm curious uh, to see whether the jobs report that came out last week will have any um, serious effect on the markets. It, it It is my take uh, that... It will be seen as sobering that this economy, um, while you could argue uh, the jobs numbers means it's cooling down. No, it means that the labor force is having an issue. It means people aren't hiring as much and those who want to hire can't. And those are all bad things. Equally bad things is the Biden administration on the border. And there is a photo. Oh, Oh, there's a video too? I didn't know there was video, too. No one told me there was video. The Biden administration were told by a judge that the the people of Texas, meaning the governor, Greg Abbott, can put up razor wire, and you are not allowed to cut that. You are not allowed to, to tear that razor wire apart. They have it on the Texas side. It's keep people out of the United States, maybe move them to, to certain areas. Uh, you cannot cannot cut that razor wire. 
So the Biden administration took them literally. Because when you hear that, you're like, okay, the razor wire gets to stay. No, 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 no. Can't cut it. Doesn't mean you can't lift it. And there are videos and photos of a forklift, a giant forklift, like industrial kind of thing, lifting up the razor wire so people could crawl underneath it. People trying to get into the United States. I'm watching it. I'm watching it happen. I haven't seen anywhere with like, no, 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 this isn't happening. This is, this is it. There's no win here. There is, there is nothing. There is nothing that, that, that we gain. There's only a desire to prove that you could still do this. This is no longer about what's in the best interest of the United States, this is, which is always a conversation. This is, this is not about being good and decent. This is about saying we don't care. There's no other argument that could even come close to, to being true if the judge says you can't cut the razor wire. So you lift the razor wire. You're telling the judge to kiss off. The only reason to do that is that you want the illegal immigration. You want it. Now the question, now the question is why? Why do they want this? Well, the argument, of course, being that you'll get more voters this way because you got all these people, you got to make them citizens, or you got to give them this. Some people would say, well, Tony, uh, you, you go back to the concepts of Cloward Piven and you overwhelm the system so the system collapses and collapsing the system is exactly the interest of people who want to destroy. If you want the United States to fail, if you want to hurt the West, remember some of the deep underlying um, things going on here. If, If you want that, well, then this is all great. This is all wonderful. This is all perfect. This is the dream. So there's only a couple reasons why you would want this to take place. And they all come back to this idea of you want to hurt the place where you live. That ideologically you are so broken. They, I should say, not you. They are so broken that they believe that destroying where they live will somehow bring about something better. That you can't ever find any good in the United States, you can't find any value in the United States. Everything must be terrible and proven to be terrible and everything must be broken so they can... So they can what? Bring about a better tomorrow? How? How is any of this better? How is anything they're offering better? They never answer that question. Then again, that question doesn't get asked much. All they will tell you is how everything is bad. They won't tell you about how everything is better. No better comes from this, and no better is going to come for these people from this. Because eventually, you got to just keep pushing people down. You can't afford this. They don't ever think about what comes next. They're just happy to destroy now.
This is Tony Katz today. It was shocking and surprising, maybe surprising more than shocking, that there was a story on CNN that had nothing to do with the idea that we must do this and we must do that for Ukraine, but rather engage the idea that Zelensky is unwilling to accept, we're talking about Vladimir Zelensky, the, 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 the president, that Ukraine is not winning this war. This was Abby Phillips from CNN. After months of a counteroffensive to wrest territory from Russia, new reporting from Time magazine reveals that while Ukrainian President Zelensky is still deeply committed to the fight, some of his advisors are worried. One of Zelensky's aides telling Time he deludes himself. We're out of options. We're not winning. But try telling him that. And that sobering assessment extends beyond the civilian government. Ukraine's commander-in-chief for the armed forces saying this to The Economist. Just like in the First World War, we have reached the level of technology that puts us into a stalemate. There will likely be no deep and beautiful breakthrough. That is a very sobering, yet for many people, honest take of the situation. But what do you expect from Zelensky to say, well, we can't do anything else? Maybe that's why we started to hear these leaks of stories that possibly the United States is working with others to get Ukraine to accept the fact that the Donbass is lost. And if you want this to stop, you're going to have to give up part of Ukraine. Tony Katz here, Tony Katz today. That's the name of the show. Good to be with you. Major Mike Lyons joins us right now. Retired United States Army West Point guy, military analyst all over your radio and TV dials. He is our guy because it's the only radio that counts is right here right now. Major Mike Lyons joins us. Uh, that assessment from Abby Phillips uh, that she gave there regarding stalemate, uh, you believe this to be true? I do, Tony. I think that uh, it's an unfortunate aspect of where it is. But in some ways, that's really all we should have expected from the Ukraine military. I mean, let's kind of net this out. They've had some success, right? They've prevented Russian gains. They've carried out some offensive operations in the south and the east. And you know, Russia hasn't really gained anything from, from their perspective, aside from the 20 percent of Ukraine that they've really been quasi-occupying since 2014. Um, they've had fortifications and Russia has lost a tremendous amount of vehicles and thousands of personnel carriers and the like. So they've had some military success. They've been able to go after the Russian Black Fleet. They've been successful at that. Um, and then in the same time, they've upgraded all their air defense platforms. So when this is finally over, uh, they're going to be a much better defended country when it comes from, you know, kind of what's going on in the air. But the bottom line is there's really been no territorial gain on the other side. You know, they wanted to um, come back and make real progress in places like Zaporizhia and Kherson and, and Bakhmut and, uh, you know, kind of these places that they've been fighting, you know, yard by yard. Um, but it just haven't done it. And Crimea is still off the table as well. They, they, they've not been able to to get anywhere near that. So um, so this is what the definition of a stalemate. And without more support, Ukraine will eventually lose because Russia can continue to produce. They've also failed to stop those production lines. They, they haven't stopped semiconductors, for example, from going into Russia, the supply, North Korea supplying Russia. So, so kind of top to bottom, um, the, as we sit today, we have that stalemate. But, uh, but Russia will still have that industrial capability advantage that without the West support, Ukraine will, will eventually, unfortunately, lose. 
But the the idea of lose, what does that mean? Is lose mean the whole country is going to fall to, to Russia? Or does lose mean this idea of working out a deal where you give up part of the land and you're going to have to now worry about this 10, 12 years from now when Russia tries it again? No, in a short answer, lose means regime change in Ukraine. That's what Russia had wanted all along. They wanted to install a puppet government there. They were not going to be able to occupy, as, as has been seen, you know, that that, that, that wasn't going to be something that was, was an, a, uh, an objective that they could accomplish. But, but from their perspective, Zelensky out and others that were loyal to that former government out, um, but but giving up that twenty percent of the land that might be a tough pill for the Ukrainians to to swallow now, given also the fact that they've had casualties themselves. But they just don't have again the military capability to go on the offense. They they would need three times the amount of equipment they have currently right now, um, and especially Crimea. And Crimea has always been from from Russia's perspective the most strategic location. It's the home of the Black Sea Fleet. It's their only warm water port that exists in the, in the hemisphere. So they need to have that, and that was that was likely their Alamo. They were going to fight, you know, very hard for that. So this leads to talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army. If this is the case, if this is the situation, then what are we actually funding here? Funding a stalemate? Does is is there a strategic advantage to this? Oh, we are. That's exactly right. We're funding them not to lose. There's a difference between funding them not to lose versus funding them to win. Funding them to win means we're sending F-18s, we're sending a bunch of different other weapon systems, more offensive things for them to do. Um, but in, in some ways, they, they still couldn't absorb that. Uh, we know that there's some pilots that are undergoing some of this training as well. But, um, you know, the, the kind of um, material and men that the Russians can still throw back at Ukraine if it does escalate is still greater than anything Ukraine could do just based on population alone. So that's, that's right. We're, keep, we're, we're not letting Russia win is what's happening. And I think um, from a strategic perspective, that's, uh, that's also drawing down the Russian military because they're, they're suffering casualties themselves. I, I think, for example, our behavior in the Middle East is very different knowing full well that Russia could not possibly get involved with this conflict at all. They, there's no capability for them to send troops uh, in, into the Middle East at this point. I mean, they're completely, you know, subscribed, oversubscribed right now going in, inside of Ukraine. So it, it's hard to try and get people to recognize that, yeah, it's a stalemate. And that's still better for the United States strategically. Of course, it has become a litmus test conversation on the political right support for Ukraine. While the House was easily put together a $14.3 billion aid package for Israel, even though they took it out of IRS funding, they did that without question. They still want to tie funding for Ukraine with funding for the border. Ukraine has become a much different beast. I assume it gets tougher when you're trying to tell the American people the best you can hope for is a stalemate, but at least you're killing Russians and and hurting the Russian military, and that's what matters. It's the same thing we did in Afghanistan during the 1980s. Uh, it was all about killing Russians there and treating their military if they were, you know, they were um, more than willing to, to think that they could take over and, and swallow up Afghanistan back at that time. Same thing in the situation here. This is about it's money. It's not other. It's not people's lives. I mean, obviously, I'm sure there's. We've got advisors there. I know I've talked to some folks, in particular over the weekend, who has who has their children now at this point uh, deployed in locations that are close to Ukraine. There now in Romania and Germany and 
in other NATO countries that are surrounding there. So there's there's more attention that's that we've got to apply to it. But for right now, it's just money that's going into into Kiev and it's uh, material and equipment coming from defense contractors. So from from that perspective, you know, business is good. Business is good is not going to be an answer to to uh, the cost to to the treasure. I I think treasure is easier to spend than blood by by every stretch of the imagination. But it, this is going to become a harder harder road for the political right uh, to get uh, people on the political right to say there's a value here. But we'll save that for now. Let's move over to Israel. You have got the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces. They really have control of Gaza City at this moment. They have control of the north of the Gaza uh, of the Gaza Strip. Uh, you have the Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has stated point blank uh, to Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State, to President Biden, uh, those calls for ceasefire those calls for humanitarian pause, you can have that. We are going to keep going. There will be no stop no matter what happens to the north with Hezbollah, no matter what happens uh, further out uh, with the Houthi rebels in Yemen firing uh, rockets. Where where are we on the latest of Israel's uh, bombardment of Hamas and the taking of northern Gaza? So first of all, there's going to be no pause, not for 30 seconds. Um, and you know, the West, I don't know if it's now getting to the point where it's just a virtual signal that we have to say that, but um, Israel is not interested in stopping. Hamas, Hamas isn't pausing. They're not cease firing. They're continuing to fire rockets inside of inside of southern Israel. And then what's going on in the north is saying Hezbollah as well. Uh, but here's, I, I think if you kind of net this out right now. So we had the Hezbollah leader last couple of days ago come up, give a speech, a lot of rhetoric there. I think fundamentally they've backed down. They've had different, you know, things that they've said before, but it doesn't look like they're going to attack in a large scale or, or, or open up another front that would cause Israel to devote a significant amount of resources. They're going to continue to do harassing and interdiction type things, which is, um, you know, it doesn't help the peace process, but I think that's where we're going. It looks like Iran has kind of backed down, although the Iranians still continue to attack our soldiers in, in, with Shia militia groups, which I think this administration has got to kind of you know wake up a little bit and, and and make better deterrence than just sending submarines and aircraft carriers and having them float them float them around the Mediterranean. We've got to actually start firing things up there. Um, the Houthis, hold up, whoa, they were do. whoa, hold yeah. on. We're gonna have to actually start firing. Firing what? Firing at whom? And firing for what result? Well, firing at Shia militia groups that are attacking our soldiers and, and killing and one you know die of a heart attack, but you know, fire, firing from where they are and attacking them in particular and not attacking their logistical supply lines. This is what we've been doing. I think, I think that deterrence is great from, you know, again, we continue to show, have a show of deterrence, but if the Iranians are still supporting these groups and they're still attacking us, then that deterrence isn't working. So I think we've got to escalate some of the things that we're doing there. Talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army. Uh, the Israeli tactics... Uh, taking the north of Gaza, I am I am under the impression, and and this is not for coming from anybody or any source. Just watching how things have progressed and and the statements made that the taking of of northern Gaza is not about the returning of northern Gaza. That this is going to be a no man's land kind of place and a a, a place to to uh, be able to reconvene and then launch further strikes against Hamas, this taking of northern Gaza says to me that they know that getting rid of Hamas is going to take a tremendous amount of time and they're totally okay with the time. 
Yeah, I, I think they're surrounded. They're going to choke them out. They're going to starve them out. They're going to cut their electricity off. They're going to blow up every tunnel. Um, there's going to be more collateral damages. They don't not allow certain civilians to escape. But they're going to look at over every single piece of that that, that what is what is Gaza City, and, and they're going to make it. Uh, they're either going to level it, or there's going to whatever's left standing is going to be you know, for the ne- for the next time. And that's and that's why Israel's not even talking about this because they they don't even know what it's going to look like yet. So, I mean, the best you could probably project is, you know, a multinational force, not the United Nations, I would suspect. I don't think Israel's going to let the United Nations in because we know how, how that will go. Um, and then maintaining that peace in Gaza there, maybe help building, getting other Arab nations to invest. Let's, you know, get those that get them in the game. Like we've talked about before, the Egyptians, when they, when they allow a passageway for humanitarian effort in the south, uh, they can't build the wall back fast enough to keep the uh, their Jordanians and, or keep the Palestinians out. So I think that's where this is going to go. But the Israelis are not even going to have this conversation or entertaining conversation until this is over. The $14.3 billion that the United States just put forward, uh, at least through the House, we'll see what happens with the Senate and President Biden has threatened veto because it's coming from uh, the uh, from the IRS budget that was passed at 80 some odd billion dollars. This 14.3 billion, what does it get Israel? And are we now going to be asking the question, okay, here's 14.3 and then there's going to be another 14 billion and another 14 billion after that. What is Israel's real need from the U S at this moment? Oh, I, I think that there could be multiple aid packages going forward. Um, the need expands everything from small arms fire. Uh, they need more um, the the Iron Umbrella Dome rockets. They need other air defense platforms. They're going to need parts. As you watch uh, on television, you see the tanks and the armored personnel carriers that going through these the desert and that that clay and that that uh, that sand that they're in. It grinds down that equipment. Um, there's a tremendous amount of maintenance that goes into that. The helicopters, all the, all of the kind of their war machine so to speak, is going to need a complete um, overhaul at some point, given the fact that what I see has been deployed so far. I mean, everything from anti-tank platforms, the armored personnel carriers, tanks, helicopters, you know, they talk about 450 missiles, uh, 450 bombs over the week, you know, on a daily basis there. The, the, the air campaign, what I'm finding is, is continues to go the same pace it went, and even with Israeli soldiers inside of Gaza City now. So again, tells me, they're putting eyes on targets. Before, these were more infrared. They were more suspected locations of Hamas. Now they're putting eyes on these targets and verifying what they are, and they're getting much more accurate with regard to their fires. Is anybody expecting Iran to get further into this? Certainly we heard from the Hezbollah leader, and it uh, kind of made you think that um, they're going to be a problem, but they're not going to get too crazy. Are we expecting to get more uh aggressive uh, movement posture from the Ayatollah? Well, uh, there's two sides to that coin and there are, I'm finding more people are thinking not. Um, But then I talked to some folks on the military side and they want it to happen. And they just think that this, this conflict with Iran is eventually going to have to happen at some point, given, you know, what's where our our country is and what's going on. So, so if it gets there, if, if they're, you know, really dumb enough to do that, Israel responds 10 times. They're not, they don't respond proportionally. So they'll first respond. And if anything gets really threatened, the, the real risk is that there's no question that, that the secretary of state's doing all he can. He's totally over his head though. 
um, talking out both sides of his mouth when he talks about, you know, we understand that they're not going to stop, but we really want to have a ceasefire. I, you know, they've got to be defeated. It just doesn't make any sense. But but if these Arab countries decided to get together and and launch 100,000 plus rocket inventory that's coming from Hezbollah and the Iranians decided to launch long range missiles, Israel would be in big trouble. And it would bring the United States flat into the war at that point. Um, there's, there's most people think that that's not going to happen because the Iranians are back down. But those are the kind of assumptions that have been made in the past that have been completely wrong as well. Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army, M-A-J, Mike Lyons, L-Y-O-N-S, M-A-J, Mike Lyons, on X Twitter. Be sure to check him out there, sir. I appreciate you. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. I know that Steven Crowder announced that he has the manifesto of the shooter in Nashville, this transgender person who murdered six, and we weren't allowed to know what the reasons were because it could be perceived wrong. You mean that a, that a woman who thought they were a man killed people and you didn't want this to be an anti-trans thing as opposed to getting data out there about why this took place. It's despicable that we haven't seen this sooner. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. I, I, I want you to know that I've only been able to see it cursory. And, and the only reason I'm not digging in on it today is that I want to make sure that, A, it's correct. I don't think I don't think Stephen would lie about such a thing. Uh, and, and I'm not making that accusation at all. I just want to go over it. I want a little more time with it. This came out right before uh, the, the show began. And I just want to make sure I mentioned it. So I'm going to get into it more tomorrow. But it is out there. And it is ugly, ugly stuff. And I can see why the left didn't want it to be seen. If this is if this is what it is, we'll get into more of it. This is Tony Katz today.